And then we sang, Great and mighty is, or great and mighty and holy is the Lord. I find it hard to comprehend that the creator of the universe, the one who is great and mighty, the one who is holy, should pursue us. The longer I know the Lord, the less I understand about that, that he would pursue us. And then as we sang, if we have come to faith in Christ, before the throne of God I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love. He pleads our case. When Satan tempts, Christ is there, willing to minister. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am. I trust that we never get over the fact that a great and awesome God pursued us, provided the sacrifice so that we could have a relationship with him. And then as we live our daily lives, and at times we sin, Christ is our advocate. It blows me away that I can say, God is my Father. And I don't know about you, but as I reflect on Scripture, as I think about Christ and who he is and his coming and what we have in Christ, it drives me to love him more, to be more and more responsive to him and to see myself more clearly for who I really am, but then have to say, thank you, Father, for what you have done, for who you are. And as we discuss another portion of Mark this morning, a couple questions. Years ago, there was a man by the name of Harlem Popoff who spent 13 years in prison because of his faith for Christ in Romania at the hands of the communist. He went through all kinds of torture. And one of the tortures that he went through is that they would have doctors and they would scientifically figure out how to bring him to the point of death, but not let him die. And there was one point in the account, as he wrote, that he remembers hearing someone say, he's going. And the doctors were quickly called back in to bring him, give him what he needed just to maintain the bare existence of life. 
And they repeatedly harassed him. Will you deny Jesus Christ? Will you deny Jesus Christ? And his answer was no. And after days of that, they gave up. Another form of treatment that they gave him was to stand him in front of a bright white wall. The room was very, very bright. At a distance, his eyes could never focus. And he was told, here's a stipulation. You may not blink an eye, and when you blink an eye, you will be beat. You may not move a muscle. When you do, you'll be beat. You must stand here until you confess that Christ is not God. He stood there for over a week. But did not acknowledge that Christ was not God. Why would a man go through that and refuse to deny Jesus Christ? Why would the apostles of Christ die in order to be faithful to Jesus Christ? James was beheaded. Andrew was crucified. Peter was crucified upside down. Matthew was thrust thrust through with a spear, and then a battle axe was used to finish him off. Philip was scourged, thrown into prison, and then crucified. Bartholomew was cruelly beaten and then crucified. Thomas was thrust through with a spear. Simon the Zealot was crucified. Why would those men be willing to die rather than say, Christ is not who we claim to be? Why would a son and a father who are walking in the jungle of Africa and the son is front of the father and the father says to the son, just out of the blue, son, run! And the son, without a thought, took off and ran. Why? Take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, reading together verses 14 through 20. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hard men and followed him. As we discuss Mark 1, 14 through 20, I think it's very critical, very important that we keep in mind who Jesus Christ is in light of verses 1 through 13. Jesus Christ is unique. He's the one of a kind. He is the good news. He is a person. According to verse 1 and verse 11 of Mark 1, he is God's son. 
He baptizes with the Holy Spirit, Mark 1 and verse 8, according to what John the Baptist says. He is a father who is pleased with him. This is my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. He's one who is yielded to the Spirit. He went into the Spirit or into the desert to be tempted, but being led there by the Spirit. He's able to resist Satan according to verses 1 through 13. The Gospel of Mark hinges on verses 1 through 13 of chapter 1. Who Jesus is. Verse 14 says, after John was put in prison, John's ministry is coming to a close in many respects, in terms, especially in terms of his public ministry. In verse 8, John said, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Who's he referring to? Christ. But John ends up in, in prison. His ministry resorted in prison. Assuming John, or I'm sorry, Mark's readers were Roman believers in Rome who were undergoing persecution for their faith. I think they would be encouraged. Here's another man who's going through persecution, John the Baptist. He is in prison. If he can be in prison and make it, we can make it. They would be reminded that following Christ can be costly. After John was put, in prison. That seems contrary to much teaching that we might hear today. You know that following Christ might result in prison, it might result in death, it might be result in being made fun of. Why would John the Baptist be willing to go to prison? He knew God, the character of God. And he knew Christ. And he knew who Christ was. So John's in prison. After John is in prison, his ministry is done. As far as public ministry, Jesus went into Galilee. Jesus had been in the Judean desert for temptation, according to verses 12 and 13. You know, he was sent by the Spirit into the desert. And he was in the desert 40 days being tempted. So a period of time had passed, and sorry about the poor map here, and the, not getting everything switched over to PowerPoint yet. But he had been in the Judean desert being tempted. It says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, in Judea, tempted, victorious, would have crossed the Jordan River probably if he followed the normal pattern of the Jews, come up the east side of the Jordan River, and would have come into Galilee, and as you look at the text, probably in the area of Capernaum. That's where Mark 1, 14 through 20 is taking place, at the Sea of Galilee, the town of Capernaum. So Jesus is ministering in his home country at this point in time, but not in his hometown of Nazareth. The setting at the Sea of Galilee, there's a very picturesque, or is a very picturesque lake, some seven miles wide, 13 miles long, lying some 700 feet below sea level. 
It's shaped like a harp. And we know that it's known for its sweet water and good fishing industry. Ten months of the year, it provides fruit for those who live there. So after John was put in prison, Jesus went into the Sea of Galilee. Now, who's going into the Sea of Galilee or to the Sea of Galilee? Jesus. And I emphasize that he is unique. He is God's son. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He is a father who is pleased with him. He is yielded to God's spirit. He's able to resist Satan. Mark's gospel hinges on Jesus and who he is. In light of Jesus being described as is on the wall, and as you read the gospels, he was a master communicator. He preached, he taught, but much of his preaching and teaching was not what we consider preaching and teaching. It was not within the four walls. It was not in the temple. Much of it was out along the seashore. May have been in a boat. May have been as he walked along the way. And keep that in mind. Jesus is ministering. He's inviting people in this context. Later on, he is teaching. And as you look at Jesus... As a communicator, we find that three things in Christ were blended into one. His logos, his word, the word that he spoke was correct. His handling of the Old Testament, when he quotes from the Old Testament, was correct. His ethos, kind of person he was, he was God's son, his being, his unique, he is the good news. His pathos, if you want to use that. His heart, knowing man's needs. He spoke from a heart of love. And he was determined to be obedient to his father. And that results in a powerful communicator. John the Baptist is off the scene. Jesus is coming on the scene. And he ministers in deep dependency upon his father. Matthew says in Matthew 4, concerning the ministry of Jesus, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, the light has dawned. It's a reference to Jesus Christ. Before Christ, they were paralyzed in darkness. Christ came as the light. So John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. So what is he proclaiming? He's proclaiming the good news of God. He's proclaiming himself. Because verse 1, in the beginning, the gospel about Jesus Christ. In essence, Jesus (laughs) proclaims himself. Because he is the good news. 
of God. And he goes on, he says, the time has come. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Now, Jesus at this point does not expand on the kingdom of God being near. But the reader must understand that the kingdom of God being near has something to do with the person of Jesus Christ. And in light of several Old Testament passages, God is the king of his kingdom. He rules in majesty. And the kingdom is making a personal appearance in Jesus Christ. Jesus and his presence is directly related to the kingdom of God being near. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent. Repentance is a turning from sin. It's a rational decision and a willful act. Repentance involves signs of fruit. And it involves the totality of one's life. So he says to people, repent. Turn from sin. Make a choice. Have a change of mind. Order your understanding that you turn from your sin. Let it be involving your total person. Repent. And believe. Basically, turn to me. Jesus. Repent and believe the good news. The good news. The person of Christ. A total allegiance of life to the good news. Who is Christ? Now in light of that, notice his calling. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once, they said, hold it, Jesus, we got some questions for you. What do you pay? What are the benefits? What's the retirement? What do we get out of this? No, at once, they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. He said, hold it, Jesus. We're making some good money here. What are you going to give us? What do we get out of this? They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hard men and followed him. Now, as we think about these four men who are fishermen, we say, well, they're just fishermen. Yes, they're just fishermen. But they were not just fishermen, in a sense. They were strong men, physically. A net, probably, at that time, was about 20 foot in diameter. Would have been... But like I said, 20 foot in diameter, and they would take a net, they would swing the net, and then let it fly with an intent that it might land like a parachute. And on the outer border, there would be rocks or pieces of metal 
that would take the net to the bottom of the lake. And then they would jump in water and they would pull the net in. As they pulled the net in, the fish would be contained. The fishing industry in the Sea of Galilee shipped fish to Alexandria in Egypt, Antioch in Syria. The Sea of Galilee was known for its fish. These men were probably shrewd and successful businessmen. But Jesus' call is simple. Come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Without delay, he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat. Why would these four men leave all to follow Jesus? In light of the text, they at least began to get some grasp that they're dealing with a unique man, one of a kind, that he is God's son. They probably knew what John the Baptist had ministered and what he had taught. He's the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He is a father who is pleased with him. He's the one who yields to the Spirit. He's the one who is able to resist Satan. He is the one who is intimately related to the kingdom of God. I'm not saying they fully grasp all of that about Christ. But as you read the text, not only in Mark 1, but you read on in the text, they had to have some grasp of who they were following. So they left and followed him. The call of Jesus is quite interesting. Jesus is the subject of the call. The way Jesus called these four men was highly unusual for that period of time. A call into some type of ministry or into a rabbinical school depended on the initiative of the aspiring student not to call the rabbi. Jesus here called. The call was an allegiance to the person, not to a book, not to a school. The call is rooted in Jesus Christ, his Masonic authority, or Messianic authority. The disciples did not have to display anything before the call. Jesus didn't say, all right, God, I read, or, all right guys, I read your resume. You qualify to get in my training school. None. There was no commitment to a book, to an exam, that they had to pass an exam. They didn't have to exhibit a certain level of knowledge or qualifying theology. Come, follow me. The call entailed a risk of faith. And faith must be an act before it is a content of belief. Only Jesus is followed. Only as Jesus is followed can he be known. Today, we tend to want to know the outcome before we act. Hold it, Jesus. What do I get out of this? What's coming? Am I going to die? And on and on. They trusted Jesus. There was intimate, implicit trust in Christ. All they knew when they responded to the call was, 
I will make you fishers of men. According to the text. The call is a call to discipleship. Follow me. No explanation is involved. Just follow me. There had to be a conviction that this man they were following is someone different, unique. They were following Christ. The essential work of Jesus consisted of forming a fellowship in which Jesus is heard and obeyed. And it's only within that fellowship where Jesus is heard and obeyed. The call of these four men seems to fly in the face of what we call a call today. The person tends to take the initiative. They must qualify to enter a school. The church must give their blessing, and many times it's what money will I get out of it. At the root of the men following Jesus is a trust and confidence issue. They had to trust this guy. They had to place confidence in this man. All he said was, come, follow me. Jesus No provision for our financial well-being. And did you consider Jesus what our wives are going to think? I come home and say, honey, God called me, or Jesus called me. I'm going to let go of my fishing business. I'm going to follow Jesus. And she says, over my dead body. Do you ever think about responding to their wives? There was implicit trust, a willingness to walk with Christ. A couple applications. In Christianity today, in presenting the gospel today, we often try to lure people with the promise of heaven, a good life, freedom from struggles. You have health, you have success, you have victory over temptation. Why don't we present the person of Jesus Christ and following him, which may result in struggles and rejection and so on? I'm fearful today, many times we're tempted to present a gospel that says, come to Jesus because of what Jesus will do for you rather than come to Jesus because of who he is. Jesus doesn't call us so that he can do for us. He calls us because of who he is. He is unique. He's the son of God. He's the one who resisted the enemy and was victorious. Are we willing to say to someone who is considering Jesus Christ, you know, you have to lay aside... You might have to lay aside your easy life. 
There might be some rejection on the job because you're not going to lie for the boss any longer. There might be some rejection from neighbors because some of those neighbors you've been doing ungodly things with and God doesn't want you to live that way. You're being called to follow Jesus. I think as Mark writes to the Roman believers, those in Rome who are going under perse- undergoing persecution, he would be saying to them, listen, believers, stand tall, stand for Jesus Christ. John the Baptist is in prison and you're going to be persecuted. Jesus Christ is calling four men here and they're jumping at the chance, I'm going to say jumping, but they follow him because they know who he is. Believers in Rome, stand firm because Jesus is who he claims to be. And if you're persecuted, you light Nero's garden tonight, stand firm because of who Jesus is. In Christianity today, it seems at times we present a message about Jesus, not the person of Jesus Christ. In time, commitment wavers due to not knowing Jesus Christ for who he is. When the going gets tough, people forsake him because they really don't know Jesus. They followed him for what he would do, not because of who he is. Recently, I again was reminded because of some physical things, in fact, yesterday, that I'm still living on a cursed world. And because of some physical things yesterday, the thought went through my mind, God, I've been at this 30 years. You know, this physical suffering, when does it end? God's response to me was, well, Dan, I'm not so concerned about what Jesus can do for you in fixing you. I'm concerned that in your trial you rejoice and grow in loving me. Your son or daughter may not get fixed. Your son or daughter may not be responsive to God as you desire. Your job may not go the way you want. Are you still going to follow Jesus even when that doesn't happen the way you want? If we're committed to a person of Jesus Christ as these four men were, they followed him whatever the cost. And they were willing to be obedient to him. And I would pose a question. Is one of the reasons why children raised in Christian homes in a church in Awana and Sunday school and teens may drift and go away from the Lord is that they're not following Jesus. They're following what he will do for them. There's a big difference between following Jesus because of who he is and what he will do. Saying to our kids, you're going to follow Jesus. 
I want you to know that you might get persecuted in school at times. You might get made fun of. Oh, there's a creation believer. He won't cheat. She won't cheat. Final application this morning. Discipleship involves being with a person. Jesus Christ in this situation. Come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. They're being invited to be with Jesus. We today, and it's not limited to today, expect people to come to events, to teaching, to several hours a week, and they will be disciples. No, we must be with people. Perhaps that is why the Lord designed the home and the body of Christ coming together in various settings to be the primary place that discipleship takes place so that you're with another person who has walked with God time after time. I say this kindly, but we cannot make disciples inside of our four walls alone. You can't. Yes, we come together, we teach, we worship, and so on, but we can't make disciples inside the four walls alone because most of life is lived outside of the four walls. We need to see one another in life. Our children, our grandchildren need to see us in life. That person who grew up in a single parent family who had been involved in drugs and alcohol needs to be able to perhaps live with a married couple who has been through the ups and downs of life and just live with them for a couple years to see what life is like in a home setting. And then that couple blesses them as they get married and established a home of their own. That's being with someone. It might mean that a family chooses to start a family business so that the family can work together and just be together. It may mean that a family or a number of families get together and say, you know, once every month or once, or rather twice a month, We're going to take a Saturday and we're going to go help widow so-and-so. We're going to pick some trash up along the road. We're going to do that as a family just so that we can be together in different contexts. Just to be with people. And letting that impact daily life. These men are called to be with Jesus. And as we go on in Mark, we'll find that they saw him cast out a demon. They saw him and related to him when he is being told by the religious leaders, you know, go fly your kite. Jesus responds. Why would a man like Harlem Popoff spend 13 years at the hands of the communists And as he is in his cell in isolation for weeks on end, his concern was, can I tap the gospel of Jesus Christ to the person in the next cell? And he would tap the message, and when they heard a guard coming, they would stop tapping. 
But he wanted to tell them about Jesus. Why that dedication? They knew who Je- he knew who Jesus was. He wasn't following Jesus for what he would do. He was following Jesus because of who he was. Why would the apostles, many of them being crucified, be willing to be crucified because of what Jesus would do for them? I don't think so. Jesus said, come on, guys, follow me. You're all going to be crucified. Whoa. Follow me. They followed him. They realized who he was. And they were willing to go to death for him. Why would a son walking in the jungle in front of his father, and the father says, son, run. Why would he run? Because he knows that his father has his best interest at heart. He knows the heart of his father, that his father cares for him deeply. The reason he said father, the reason the father said run, is because there's a very poisonous snake about to strike at the boy. He obeyed without any question. It goes back to being convinced of Jesus and who he is. I'm the very, very strong persuasion as I study scripture that much of how I respond to God and to Jesus Christ is contingent upon one thing. Am I convinced Jesus is unique? The Son of God. The one beloved by God. The one who defeated Satan. And so on. And if I am convinced of that, will I in humble obedience follow him? Period. No argument. No, I don't get this, Jesus. Just obey. Because of who he is. Take a moment in silence and just reflect on what we have discussed this morning. Just say, God, minister to my heart. encourage you to listen and be responsive as Travis and Laura come and minister in music. Travis, Laura. <clears throat>